Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, everybody out there in podcast land. You are in tune to another episode of Intrinsic Motivation from a Homie's Perspective. This is Hamza. And I am David. And today I was excited about speaking with our guests, and then I thought, oh my goodness, I have more homework to do because I am familiar with the springtime when we do spring cleaning, when we evaluate our lives. But our guest today is going to talk about it's time for a fall friendship cleanse as well. And so shout out to everybody in the dating world. We are in the middle of cuffing season. And I think that you guys will really love this podcast because we are talking about uh, just different things that you could do to filter and evaluate what's currently going on to your life and what needs to be jettisoned or what needs to be cut off. Uh, but I am not the expert in that area, and that's why we have Annie Evans. Uh, she is a world-renowned she author. She has actually been a celestial navigator before GPS, uh, traveling 44,000 logged sea miles. She has a story to tell for sure. Without further ado, I'd like to welcome Annie Evans to the podcast. Welcome, Annie. Thank you, guys. It's really great to be here, and... Um, yeah, I really don't believe that we should be falling into everybody else's negativity. So I guess that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. Yeah, I think that uh, we're going to talk about some balance. And right now that we may be in an imbalance with everything you turn on, it seems like it is taking that negative slant. And maybe you can help us kind of cut that off at the pass. So we can kind of avoid and not get drawn in to something that may not be productive in our current lives. Exactly. So I think so many of us get caught up in just following, you know, reactively to our friends and families. And like you say, everything that's bombarding us from outside and so the first thing you mentioned, balance, and I think that's key for all of us to just get in touch with our own balance. And when it gets threatened by negativity, you know, some people just fall into patterns of always being overly judgmental or argumentative, or, and we just need to really preserve our space and just keep our own Quan, so to speak. I hope many people can recognize that word. And um, and it's just it's, it's important just not to get caught up and feed into getting these negative reactions, which just end up really constricting and frustrating our whole lives. I hope that's making sense. Yeah, and that's why I was really interested in speaking with you because when you talk to people, they may not even realize it. And you talk about if you don't clean these people out or evaluate what's going on in your life, you actually turn out to be just like them. So you get drawn into the negativity, and you're like, wow, I can't even pinpoint when I started thinking like this. Exactly. That's so true. So um, I, I remember in, in my past because I, I pretty much call people out now when it starts happening and I welcome being called out also because we can all be guilty of, of taking a negative or disrespectful slant here and there but just bringing it to the other's attention 
and just not being willing to go there with the other people. Um, and it's a practice, you know, because we just sort of automatically, you know, okay, he said that, and oh, that didn't feel so great, but now I'm going to say this, and that's not going to feel so great to him. And it's like a tennis match where, you know, everybody's missing balls and, and causing problems. So it's just really important to be really centered in ourselves and try and stay positive. And I really recommend just really, um, you know, not, not reacting as, you know, like, oh, my God, if you don't stop this, but more like, listen, let's just, I want to hear you, and I want to be heard, but let's just, you know, breathe, take a deep breath and really get back onto where we're just communicating rather than, you know, alienating each other. So um, it does take practice because we are so used to just automatically reacting, you know, being reactive and just reacting back. We, we reflect what's usually put upon us, and we can train ourselves to not do that. Now, I like what you said about what uh, life reflects what we're currently thinking about, what we focus on expands. From a technological standpoint with social media, their job is to keep you on those sites. So if you start clicking on negative stories or you're responding to negative responses other people are giving out, the algorithm is trained to give you more of that because you are actively participating in that energy. That's exactly true. I, I have to say I'm still... Um, guilty, although at least I'm conscious of it. I I like to be aware of what's going on and what other people are thinking, and so I, against my better judgment, although I still just decide that I am going to watch some of this stuff, but I put it through my own filters, and uh, I'd rather know that a storm is coming than to go. I'm not going to watch that. So. Um, <laughs> You know, but we really do have to reflect and and filter out what isn't good for us. So uh, that's where I hold my boundaries. Um, sure. But I don't think there's anything wrong with being aware of what's going on in, outside of our lives. Absolutely. And so you are obviously an expert in this area. So. Were you born that way? I'm sure you have stories to tell of how you were able to break the threshold to the uh, to the space that you're in now. Was that more of your upbringing or uh, your formative years or just something of a recent development? Um, well, it's recent that I've been called to really share with other people and try and help them. But I was brought up in a real... I had very good and very, very bad. And so my mother was mentally ill, although until I was in my teens, nobody acknowledged it. But I was getting the brunt of her illness the whole time. It was really pretty horrible. Um, and at the same time, I lived in Yosemite and had great life skiing and just being in the nature of it all. But... Um, when I got in my late teens, I realized, actually I didn't realize for a long time, but finally I realized how angry I was. And I had every right to be. I had really suffered some really bad wrongs. 
but I wanted to be, you know, a productive, happy person. And when I finally realized how angry and the chip on my shoulder was so, so big, that I just really sought out how can I change myself and really because I, I finally it was seeing the reactions of other people, people that could have helped me with, you know, starting careers and all of these things. And they're just like going, oh, no, this, is, <laughs> this is, isn't something I want to get into. And so I, you know, it took some years. I found a small book by David K. Reynolds, who was the founder, creator of Constructive Living. He's a psychoanalyst, and he mixed uh, Eastern philosophies, Narita, and oh my God, my mind went blank on the other one. And um, this book was so simple. And I was in a state of real depression and just really finding it hard to be productive washing the dishes were, <laughs> wasn't happening. Um, and so I instantly start, I go, this really makes sense. All I need to do is set those feelings aside just for a few minutes a day and do something productive, like washing the dishes. And so it took time, but slowly but surely, the positives totally erased the negatives. I mean, I still have bad memories, and I still have all those things. It's not like they're gone, but my my mind and my subconscious do not react to them in the same way. Um, and I take time. Like, I just lost my most precious stepfather. Um, he got, he was 88, and so he had a good life, and he was on a bicycle, and he got hit by a car and was instantly killed. But he's part of why I am who I am because he was such an amazing human being. And so it's so hard to lose somebody like that. So I, I grieve and I spend time doing that, but I make sure I balance it with really, you know, keep going, put the next foot forward. So as you may or may not know, I have gone through so many things. I've been widowed twice. And at the same time, I've just been really successful. And I just know that people hopefully don't have to go through everything I have gone through, but everybody has the opportunity to take charge of their lives and live the life that they want. And, you know, but it does sometimes take major practice. So now I am really trying to reach out and help people who've lost their homes and fires and all different things. Um, some people can just snap back up and go, okay, well, where's the next house? But other people, it's like their lives are completely ruined. And so I'm trying to lift them up and teach them that with practice they can just really retrain their brain to think differently. First off, let's say uh, condolences to you for your stepfather. Thank you. Yeah, it's it's a tough one, unexpected, sure. and yeah, yeah, it's amazing. It's one of those. It's one of those that I, I liked from your YouTube videos and others. Uh, tomorrow's not guaranteed, so I'm sure he didn't get on that bike thinking he was going to reach that outcome. I don't think anyone does when they start the day, and 
you know, so you're going through that. So, so condolences to you for that. Uh, the other you. thing I, I, I wanted to ask you, because you're talking about being resilient, you are in California right now. And those that I'm in Atlanta, David's in Colorado, and we're, we get sound bites. So what's it like on the, on the front lines of the forest fires out there? Um, I can hear helicopters as we speak. Um, I I am not in a current fire area. Um, my area was hit really really hard um, in the end of about in November 2017, and I watched 11 houses burn right from my front yard. But I've I've been around fires, you know, all my life. Nothing like this. It just never was like this. We'd have, you know, an occasional big fire. But right now I have people all over Southern and Northern California that are just directly impacted, people that lost their houses in um, Paradise, Malibu, you, I mean, it's just extraordinary. And I just drove through Santa Clarita, where one of the biggest fires is right ongoing now, I think the Tick Fire. I believe that fire is somewhat under control, and many people have been able to go back home, and yet it's still just flaming uh, the whole area. And it's calm right now. The winds are calm but we're expecting, you know, 45 to 85 mile an hour winds um, starting tonight and all through tomorrow. Hopefully wow. that won't happen, but that's... So I, I've become somewhat of a, um, you know, I, I know that I'll be okay. That's going through all these things. You know, my bounce back muscles are really built up and I'm, I'm fairly prepared. I have solar charger. I have satellite phones, and I'm ready to jump in the car with my dog. And if I lose my house, there will be another house. Um, but, you know, that that's not the way other people live. I mean, and it really is life-threatening, just your whole mentality and, you know, feelings of security and safety, with, which all of us need. So... My whole thing is is that you know I want to share with other people how you can really build up these muscles, and nobody wants to go through these things, but we you, I mean so when I was first widowed, the boat actually got lost at sea. I don't know if you know that with all souls on board, my loved ones, and everything that I basically owned and my history. And it was a moment of like, oh, my life is over. And then I went, God, I'm, you know, I'm really young. I really need to live this life that I have ahead of me. And so that's what really got me totally focused on no matter what happens, I'm going to sit down and grieve, pull the the covers over my head for however long, but then I'm going to whip them back and put my best foot forward and go on into life. And so that's what I've done um, over and over. And the fact, I'm hoping that the fact that people can see that I've really done it and now I'm really living the good life and until the next thing happens. Just kidding. I, I hope it doesn't. Um, 
you know, but we all can we all can be resilient, and we can train ourselves to be prepared to be resilient, and that's what I think is missing in a lot of people. How long was that grieving period, Annie? Well, it's hard to, um, I mean, still sometimes it, it comes up, and I do let these things come back up. I'd rather deal with them when they, you know, because a lot of times it starts with just some great memory. I mean, sailing at sea for the years that I did with the dolphins and the islands and, and you know, the beautiful cultures and everything, those are all really good memories. And then you have, you know, a hard ending, just like with my stepfather. And um, it doesn't make all those good memories go away. So the period of grief um, with the boat, I think, was the longest that I really ever had. It was probably a few months. A few months? Okay. Yeah. Um, since then, I've I've had I've been known to get up the next day from a major disaster and just go. I just got to get on with it. And yeah. um, so, but that was my learning process, and also it was a very big deal. I've been through a few big deals, but um, whatever the period is, it at, at that time I really hadn't acknowledge the need the need to consciously fight for life so my grieving period at that time was longer because that was when i was learning no this is not the way you're going to live the rest of your life with your head under the covers and you know completely destroyed by grief and i had a i still have a lot of survivor's guilt because being the navigator first mate, partner, um, you know, it's like, what if I was there? What if I was there? That still comes up. But more importantly is my life today, I want to live the best life I can live. So just with that thinking and with the practice, it really does come faster and faster. And um, and the ang- I, I just don't... I get, I'll get mad and I'll stand up and, you know, for my rights and, and you know, go to court for a parking ticket or something. But I just don't have the anger and it just goes away so quickly because I've just always insisted that my brain think positive things and I've really, you know, dealt a lot with my limiting beliefs and everything in my subconscious. So my subconscious is filled with positive things and everything gets more condensed and I'm more constantly able to set my feelings aside even even with my stepfather you know it's horrible and I can hear it in my voice that it's shaking and yet mm. today's going to be a productive day and I'm going to be happy and I know he wants me to be happy so that's my story and as Les Brown would say, and I'm sticking to it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, I do want to uh, put an asterisk on that for that answer. Uh, and I wanted to know if you sought out 
uh, other groups uh, of going through that because one thing that we haven't talked about on this podcast in great detail is that survivor's guilt. You know, I was just there, and then this happened, and then talking about grief, and then the other side of that is, you know, some other, an outsider that wasn't around that or, you know, a degree away from it, and they're like, well, how come you haven't gotten over it already? I mean, that's no one that's going through uh, grief or survivor, survivor's guilt wants to think that there's supposed uh, this arbitrary timeline that they should get over something. So when you answered that, was that on the basis of going to different groups of sharing experiences, or how did you get to it? Um, most of it was more survival. Now, I would never, you know, I am really counseling people, and I would never say, you know, <laughs> you should be over this by now. Um, you, you never, uh, my point is you never get over these things. It's how they fit into your future life that we need to look at. I did not go to a lot of groups. I'm not saying that I didn't get help from, you know, I've been really fortunate in, in the people that have surrounded me um, and so I did get help, but I wasn't really going to groups or getting counseling or th- therapists. Um, after dealing with my mother um, and mental illness, and then my, I also lost my brother to mental illness, I not really easily trusting a general therapy, let's just put it, Wildly, but at the same time, I am really supportive of other people. You know, I you know I try and be there um, for other people who have been going through things like this. And 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 back to this whole thing of why you reached out to me about the negativity and everything. So many people are in relationships where for years. They're put down, they're, you know, there's just no respect and understanding, no mutual just support. And, you know, I am in a lot of groups now where, you know, it's like, oh, 14 years and he just, and I'm going, you've got to do something about this is your life, your one life. And you're going to just subject yourself to this real negative blankety blank, you know, you've got to stand up for yourself. Otherwise, you only have yourself to blame. It's not the other person. You know, sure it is, and if you can get them to change and realize somehow mirror to them what they're doing to you, then great. But otherwise, you have to just evacuate. which is a key word these days here. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, Andy, before we go forward, if you could turn your, if you're on Wi-Fi, if you could just go to data, because I'm hearing background uh, information. If you could do that as well, David, there's just interference in the background. Um, go to data. Or take it off of speaker. Or, yeah, go to data and take it off of speaker, uh, because with the three of us, there's some interference in the background. Okay, I'm sorry about that. No problem. It's hard for me to hold this phone up. Um, give me a you second. Sound a, we, we got the interference gone, so it may have been on David's side. 
Okay. Well, my speaker is yeah. still on. I'll, I'll, I'll turn it off. It's off now. So um, hopefully that helps. But now I'm holding the phone up to my ear. Sure. Not not very helpful in <laughs> having your phone up to your ear. Um, so I, I wanted to ask the other question because with this uh, being a celestial navigator, it, it made me think of uh, when you finish high school or you finish college and you take that year off and go to Europe and such. And I wanted to know if you becoming a navigator and, and sailing the seas, was that a result of getting away from your immediate family environment? That's a good question. Um, so my my father was a Harvard grad and uh, was really wanting me to follow the norm of the day, which was, you know, really good college, which he would have supported at the time, and um, and really good job, get married. And I was a little bit rebellious, and it wasn't so much trying to get away, but just the need for feeling free. And so I really started living an adventurous life. I did go to Ireland, and I was studying um, to be a, a horse trainer and teacher of, of riding, and which I have done for many years in the past. And and so that led me just on a, on a loop-de-loop through adventure. And so I fell in love with the person that was building this boat and became part of that family. And that's how I ended up sailing. I don't think I was really running away from anything, but I was running into, you know, the want of adventure. And mm -hmm. I've lived a lot of my life. My life has never been about the money, but it's been about, you know, really feeling good about what I was doing, being useful, productive. And there was nothing wrong with following the stars because it's pretty awesome out there in the middle of the ocean when it's calm and the universe is just above you and the dolphins are breathing alongside you. So... I did, when I was 12, I did run away from my mother who had tried to attack me um, with a butcher knife. And I, at 12, I ran all the way across the country, which was an adventure in itself. I guess I got addicted to adventure. Um, but after that, I don't think I've really run away from anything. If there's something I want, wanted to do, I ran towards it and did whatever I had to do in order to make it happen. Absolutely. And on one of your videos, you're talking about the difference of living on a boat versus a house, and you can't have that much baggage on a boat, so maybe it made it easier for you to let some of that baggage go that others take more time with. Well... I mean, that's, you know, what was on that boat, actually, um, because I come from a, you know, family that goes back to the Mayflower and before and that in Jamestown and, and the resettlement of, or not the resettlement, but the settlement of all of Pennsylvania and, and everything. And so I had a lot of heirlooms, and I had them on that boat. Now, 
and mm. and there's that was only one time I've actually lost huge amounts of things that are just totally irreplaceable at a certain point, but I didn't need them to live. And so, yes, you have to let things go. When they're gone, they're gone. But it doesn't make it, you know, easier. I mean, now, because I'm writing these books and really trying to share my story, I um, I am really, you know, treasuring the pictures and things that I have. And I, I see pictures of my grandmother's quilts and stuff, and it's hard. But um, such is life. Yeah, that's definitely. And sorry for those losses. Uh, before you had come on, David and I were talking about heirlooms, and um, I'm in the process of – I'm a twin, and my sister's daughter just had twins. So we were like, for lineage, we want to have pictures of the twins together. And yeah. those pictures aren't even formed yet. And like you're saying, there may come a time where that picture's lost in the ether. So <laughs> it's important to us today. But you know, like you just said, sometimes you uh, those attachments. Sometimes you have you have to let them go. Uh, sometimes without your control. Yes. Uh, and uh, seriously, um, and right now, you know, there's a couple pictures that are in my mind that I, why don't I have those pictures? You know, I mean, it's really, when you're trying to tell your story, there's nothing better than a real picture, like the boat being in full sail and, and things like that. And, um, and then also because I was living on a boat, a lot of the pictures, you know, there's mildew and other things. And they're old, and they're not from current technology. So it is, it's really tough, but you just have to find a workaround. That's mm. all I can say is, you know, mm-hmm. make the best of what you have. And thankfully, Absolutely. I do have some pictures. Absolutely. But, yeah. I definitely mm-hmm. have my hard drive and everything in the car now because I don't want to go through this again. Yeah. Annie, what was it like? I know in the video you, you I saw that you talked about how you hadn't you had been away from the United States for about a five year period for or at least for five years and when you went back and then I don't know how long after when you came back you found out about what happened, you know, with the boat and whatnot. But the question I wanted to ask you, when you were away that long, when you came back, what were some of the things that you noticed about the United States that maybe you hadn't noticed just being, you know, from this country? Um, Well, you know, you're, you're always thinking about hamburgers and stupid things when you're that far away, and hamburgers are never the same. Actually, they've gotten better over the years in other countries, and and I I say that just because it came up, but hamburgers aren't really my thing. But still, when you haven't had one for five years, a, a nice good one, you you do want one, but. Um, so, you know, when I came back, there were so many friends and the circle of the sailing people that I was with, you know, it was just great to be with them because we, we had a land base here in Camarillo, California. And um, it was hard. When I was overseas, um, you know, I, I made a 
a living somewhat. It was my spending money. Um, making custom dresses and stuff, you know, in the various tourist places. And so that's what I started doing right away when I got back and knew I had to, you know, start over. And my whole career actually blossomed from from that. And, uh, you know, I think I lived in the present, so I didn't really ponder on. I Now I miss Tahiti. That's where I left. I could have lived there forever, um, but I don't. I don't judge the United States against the other countries. I've been a world traveler ever, before and ever since, and uh, I'm always glad to come home. And yet, I'm always sorry to leave the place that I that I like. So I, I guess I just don't relate to the question too much. Um, I think now, if it had been as many years, you know, like 20 years or something, then it would have been probably a big shock. But, you know, life just keeps unraveling, and you just have to be there in the present. Yeah, yeah. And the only reason I asked is I'm just, I've always just been curious to, you know, when you're, from one place and you've been there most of your life, there's a lot of stuff that you don't necessarily recognize that others from other countries, when they come here, they might say, and it's not necessarily a a good or a bad thing, but just, you know, they might say, oh, everything is so whatever here in the U.S. And we might not even blink about that because that's how our experience has always been. So, So that's why I had asked that. You know, you being away for so many years, maybe when you came back, you noticed, you know what, Americans, we're so this or that. Not necessarily a bad thing, but just maybe some things you just hadn't noticed because, you you know, it was always like that. And then being away for five years, maybe you just, you know, like I said, noticed things that you never noticed before. Well, I can, one thing came up that I did notice is that um, because I had flown in and out of the United States many times before that, um, and we were in just so smoggy, and the skies were always gray, and I did notice that there had been a lot of cleanup and that the skies were bluer, and I, I, you know, I was going, wow, it's not so bad that I came back here, because honestly that was one of the things that was really bothering me about living here. Um, before I went sailing. And now I see the dark skies coming back, and it's really alarming to me. The fires aren't helping, and some of the environmental impact things going on are not helping. Um, but that's something I really noticed, and I was really grateful for, to see the blue skies, and I hope to see them again. Um, mm-hmm. But I also have moved around my whole life so I haven't gotten too like stuck or and, and stuck is the wrong word but you know I've always kind of gone with the flow because I've moved all over California I know California better than than most let's just say and I still I'm I'm all over California I'm a realtor and most realtors are like I'm in this community and I'm going where do you, you know, let me tell you, you know, there's all sorts of places that you can be, and I really get into people to try and get them in the right place. 
um, and it can be anywhere in California, um, mm-hmm. and maybe elsewhere when I get licensed in other places. So I'm just kind of a little bit different person from, you know, I see so many. I, I lived in Malibu, and there were people that I was going to school with who had never been out of San Fernando Valley. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm thinking, you know, there's a lot of people that are really in one place. There's nothing wrong with that, you know. It, as long as you're happy there, I think it's a good thing to look at and make sure that you're really directing your life and not, and life isn't directing you or your mm-hmm. environment isn't uh, ruling your life. So I really teach people to recognize their strengths and address their weaknesses and really look at what kind of life they really want to live and then work on an action plan of how to make that happen. And again, that goes back to maybe possibly having to get rid of some people in your life, at least not spend as much time in their thrall, so to speak. And hopefully not. Hopefully you can work it out with people and move on and create a new relationship with them and become better people all in all. So that's my my whole thing that I try and help people with. Sure. And I, I was just wondering with, with popular media in the past couple of weeks, or first, today, you know, Google – Whenever you go to Google, they have a, an image, and it talks about what happened today. And it's really good from a historical standpoint because you may learn something that you didn't know before. And today, Sylvia Plath was born. And a couple of weeks ago, the I think it was 2020, they highlighted um, Phil Hartman because uh, it was the anniversary of when he died um, based off of what between the relationship he had with his wife, Bryn. And I bring those two up because you had formed a a 501c3 for your late brother. And Mm -hmm. I was wondering if you stay in touch or on top of what's happening to popular media with regards to mental illness. Uh, Well, that's a really big thing for me right now. Um, I... I really advocate for improving um, how we look at and deal with mental illness. I think it's a national crisis, um, and all the homelessness and PTSD and everything. We just leave people on the streets, and it's really hurtful to me. And I think it's a lot unnecessary, and so suddenly it's dawned upon – I'm totally – yeah, I have a high school degree, and I've done so many things. I've been in senior corporate management, really running businesses and growing businesses. But education just isn't really serving most people because we don't teach people to be whole. I think if we really taught people to be whole human beings and address you know, problem solving, financially, you know, knowing how to manage your finances, uh, knowing, you know, mindfulness and how to really recognize when your, your mind is going in directions that you feel you don't have any control of, 
I feel that you do have some control of everybody can't control everything. But I, I just got back from Kenya and I went over there with the Unstoppable Foundation. And those kids that they have been helping for the past 11, 15 years or so um, are so amazing. And they're, they're taught, you know, a curriculum that teaches them to be completely whole human beings. And they have nothing. You know, they're poor people. And yet they could come over here and speak on any stages. I was able to go to the first college level um, graduation, and they were speaking to us. And I'm just going, I got to bring these girls over, you know, so that they can speak over here because we're just not bringing up people with the right tools. So I believe that first of all, mental illness can be somewhat self-corrected. I feel that I've done a lot of self-correcting. You know, I never have depression or anything anymore, or if it is, it's hours and, and hardly days, not months and years. Um, and, you know, there's so much we can do, and there's so much that we really could really be serving mental illness with proper hospitals and, you know, not just handing out medication because that the side effects and everything of that, we need to teach people how to manage their own mental issues. And some are very unmanageable. I was, I was just on a call with um, Les Brown yesterday, and his son is um, schizophrenic, and he's really panicked, and I have... I. I so live in that space where you actually have to let go of people when they're not willing to take charge and take medication or do anything for themselves. And, you know, my heart bleeds every time for so many people, including my brother mm. and my mother. One so of my biggest I takeaways... One of my biggest takeaways, one of my biggest takeaways in watching the Phil Hartman story um, when they were talking about his wife, Bren, and they were also, uh, we also had a guest recently who had lost someone, and she was dealing with depression too, and one of the biggest takeaways was the side effects from the medication. And right. um, with the mass shootings and such, it was a side effect of a medication. And so you're talking, it sounds like you're a good conduit between the traditional treatment and looking at alternative to complement each other as opposed to just being on separate ends of the fence to deal with these issues. Absolutely. So I think that one of the main problems is I'm not against medication. I really wish my brother had spent more time on medication. He spent about a week and it was a week where he became positive and I saw my brother come back to life. But then he, you know, legally could fight it because he was taking it under court order. Um, and so he never did. And he just spiraled downward. And within, you know, seven months or so, he was, he died. Um, and not, not from mental illness exactly, but because he didn't treat anything else. And although it was treatable. So it's really scary. And, 
you know, the HIPAA laws and everything, I think, needs some adjustment because, you know, I know my family would have done anything to try and help save him. And, you know, you put a, a totally mentally ill person, schizophrenic, paranoid schizophrenic, and say that, okay, you can be in charge of your own life. And, yeah, I get it. I'm not totally opposed to it, but, you know, they need help. And, you know, and, and it's, it's like you can't even help the person. So it's really, I hope, I'm just hoping that as things, you know, mindfulness and all the teachings going on are so valuable and they need to filter down into our whole society to where we're looking at things as a whole picture and not just, you know, fragment this. And the other main point is that with our health insurance and everything, doctors and psychiatrists and everybody are only given a few minutes for each mm-hmm. person. Nobody's really getting therapy unless you're, you know, super rich. Um, and so, you know, they just hand out medication. They get, you know, feed, uh, uh, what is it, residuals from the pharma companies, and the whole thing is just not a working situation. It's really bad. And I'm talking to a lot of people who are on medication, and, mm-hmm. you know, they're just going, this is really miserable. I know I'm not really me. And, you know, yeah, it's helping, but it's also ruining my life. And I mm-hmm. saw it with the side effects I saw with my mother were just beyond just a horror show altogether. So we have a long ways to go. We have a lot of problems, and this is really becoming, as I'm sure that you you know, you're not here in California where it's probably the worst, but the homelessness and the people being left behind is just getting to be too outrageous. You packaged a lot on that, and one thing I'd like to ask to unpack some of it is the challenge that I've seen uh, as an outsider is that if they're on medication, they don't like that they're on it, and then they, when they get off, they're like, I feel great, and then there's, they, that's when they spiral out. So that's when someone's on medication. Now, dealing with your mom and your brother, and for like you're saying, when we filter people out in this fall season – how would you determine any any emotional indicators or how a person's acting that you may want to suggest, hey, uh, have you, I mean, because nobody wants to hear you need treatment, <laughs> but are there any indicators that you could say that we could look out for, uh, you know, this is kind of indicative of this type of behavior for mental illness and maybe professional help should be sought out? Well, I think that one of the saddest things is that people um, with severe mental illness, which may not, I know with my brother, it wasn't severe at first. And and he was really, really normal for most of his life and the closest thing to me. Um, But, you know, when mental illness takes hold, especially schizophrenia and related disorders, they're in complete denial. There's really not much you can say to a person. You, you, you cannot approach it with, well, you know, I just noticed that, you know, you have 
these symptoms and you might want to look at it. I just don't think most people will just reject it. And I, I have people, I've tried to hire people even to help them have a job and stuff um, who I knew were on the border of having real issues. And I've had to let them go most of the time because they don't face it. And there's nothing I can do other than ruin my life to try and help them. And, you know, that's, that's the hard thing. So there has to be another way that I don't really have all the answers to to reach people and approach people. And one of them is if we were really teaching people from a very young age, this is my belief, um, to really watch out for these things, they could self-correct many things before it got to be an issue. And if they couldn't self-correct it, they would probably have a better uh, reason to seek the proper treatment. And hopefully that's available, because I just don't think it's available enough. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you knew this or not. I don't know if you knew this or not, Annie. There, there is, I'm in the tech space, and so uh-huh. I'm always interested, like most people, about artificial intelligence and such. And so there are applications that they're trying out with de- uh, determining when a, a child under the, eight of, under the age of eight, they would run them through this machine or they would speak through a microphone. And based off of their inflections, the AI can determine if this person has depression or anxiety because the the stats continue to grow. I mean, the the stats for anxiety right. and depression over the last ten years has. I mean, it's never been at this level. So at least we can identify that it is an issue. And I'm not saying artificial intelligence is an answer, but I think that uh, many people, including yourself, are fighting the good fight so we can uh, address these issues. Yeah, that I I do know of um, several applications even for adults um, that are pretty, you know, they, they still need work, I'll say that. But, you know, they're pretty diagnostic. And at least I think that is a safe way for some people that have issues. If they can go on an app and see, you know, just uh, digital intelligence coming back to them saying, oh, you know, you, you're reacting this way. And hopefully they are tools in the toolkit that will help us move forward in the future. And I know it's, it's, the tech is very new and needs to be, um, you know, further developed. But I'm excited to, I, had, I didn't hear about the diagnosing of, by AI of, of young kids. I think that's great. Hopefully it's right. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> I'm encouraged. Uh, you know, on one hand, you're like, who's this computer telling me, right? <laughs> so right. what computers rule the world. But the, where I'm encouraged is, you know, in 1999, 2000, early 2000s, there was a huge hesitancy to any to buy anything with a credit card over the Internet. <laughs> and now, right. you know, that's pretty mundane. So it's just a natural progression. That's why I feel encouraged about it. Yeah, no, I, I I try to be optimistic as well, and um, who knows, maybe we won't be using credit cards at some point. Uh, 
you know, everything is cyclical and, um, you know, there's many problems. I was just talking to a really dear friend yesterday who got totally hacked and I, I was wondering, you know, what's happened? You know, we're usually in contact all the time and he was hacked so bad that he had to go in hiding. So things mm. are, you know, just not all that stable in many places. And we just need to keep working, keep going forward and, you know, trying to correct the ills. I mean, the amount of suicides and opioid deaths right now is just totally unacceptable. I mean, mm -hmm. it's really scary. One so thing I do like one about... Life is one, life. one thing I like about your site, Annie, is uh, this one statement, and it reads, formal education will make a living, self-education will make you a fortune, by the world-famous Jim Rohn. Uh, how did you get in touch with uh, his teachings? Because it sounds like he resonated with you a lot because it, I think it covers what we've been talking about this past hour. Um, there's limitations with the formal education versus lifelong self-education. I, I, I'm a huge advocate, and I'm so grateful for myself that, that I, it didn't, wasn't a real conscious thought at the time but I'm so thankful for my, um, my self-education. So Jim Rohn, I was actually um, the manager for Herbalife's uh, first millionaire, Jerry Satanovich, and um, she moved me over to Hawaii, which was great, and I got to spend, you know, I guess about five years, you know, traveling the islands and traveling with her, and Jim Rohn was, uh, hired by Herbalife exclusively, and uh, seeing as I went with her everywhere, I got to see him over and over and over and over, a little bit of young Tony Robbins as well. And yeah, he resonated with me. Also, it was after my sailing days, and one of his favorite um, sayings that he uses in almost every, used in almost every speech was, you know, Set your sails and trim, you know, for the best course in your life. That's not a direct quote, but, you know, and I'm just like, oh, man, this is my guy, you know, <laughs> he's speaking my language. <laughs> so um, he was pretty, pretty influential. And now I really, you know, so the kids in Kenya um, who I was bragging about, th their curriculum is based mostly on Bob Proctor. And interestingly mm -hmm. enough, Bob Proctor only has a high school degree. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there's something going on. And Tony Robbins now is coming out with um, his KBB, and uh, excuse me for not having the acronym completely um, translatable right now, but, and it's all about, you know, we all have knowledge and we can get knowledge and education needs to change and we can't rely on, on the, our current education system. So it's, I'm not the only one that got it. Sure. <laughs> and it's, I'm not saying, you know, throw away education, but just add the things that you just leave out and, and be fair and honest about, you know, I, a lot of things right now I just don't believe should be happening but <laughs> I'm not elected to do something about it so well it sounds like you can cover both ends I mean you're helping someone with their self-education and changing their outlook and then once they get the financing then you can sell them a house 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, That's a lucky punch. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, yeah, I'm, I am a very good realtor. I, it's not full-time for me now. I'm spending more time um, doing, you know, really, um, I feel like my legacy is more sharing my knowledge and doing what's right for people that I can help. And some of that is in real estate, and I really pride myself on how I, you know, it's all about them. It's not about me, and that's how I do most things. And hopefully it pays off financially, which usually it does, honestly. Absolutely. And so uh, we are at the top of the hour, but I, I do okay. want to take this time for you to talk about uh, your, your book and uh, if they want to get in touch with you for, uh, for buying a house potentially um, and your other teaching. So if you can give out your website, social media, and all the above, that would be great. Okay. So I think you have my set your sales. Um, dot com, S A I L S, not the other one. Um, that is more for my books and coaching and speaking, and that currently has Jim Rohn quotes on it, and soon to have mine. Um, but I also have Annie Evans Realty dot com, and that's my real estate um, website, and I'm happy to help anybody basically anywhere in California. And if anybody just wants advice on, because I, I, I was first licensed in real estate in 1979, and I've uh, you know, also been in architecture and construction and development and all of those things I bring to the table to really help people with honesty and integrity. So yeah, anybody that wants to reach out even with questions that I can't really do anything about in Atlanta or Colorado, um, I'm here. And let's see, I am all over Facebook um, and LinkedIn and, and everything else, but I don't have, you know, just Annie Evans is the way to find me. And there's many Annie Evanses, but I should show up pretty easily. Awesome, awesome. Well, you have just been in tune to another episode of Intrinsic Motivation from a Homie's Perspective. This is Hamza. And I am David. And it sounds like you have a long path ahead of you, Annie, so let's definitely stay in touch. <laughs> yeah, no, let's do. I really enjoyed this. Thank you for letting me get it out there. I really appreciate it. You guys are doing a great thing. Thank you so much. Really nice to meet you. Okay. Ciao for now. Cheers.